Welcome to episode three of the Cinema Australia podcast. Uh, my name's Matthew Eels. Uh, in this episode, I'm speaking with director Simon Stone and actress Odessa Young about their new film, uh, The Daughter, which is released nationally on uh, March 17. Uh, the Daughter is Simon's first feature film as director and is the second uh, feature film for Odessa in, in as many months. Uh, listeners might remember her from uh, Sue Brooks's Looking for Grace, uh, which had a very limited release, actually, but if if you get the opportunity to see it, I'd, I'd take it up. Uh, the Daughter has one of the best cast ensembles I've seen in years. It's got uh, Paul Schneider, Jeffrey Rush, Ewan Leslie, Anna Torv, Miranda Otto... Uh, and Sam Neill, as well as uh, Odessa. Now, I'm not saying that this is the best cast ensemble because of their names and who they are. I'm I'm talking about how they how they work together and and what they bring to the screen. This this ensemble is is so powerful, and uh, the performances alone will rattle your soul a little, and it definitely rattled mine. Uh, it's an expertly structured and uh, haunting film that'll stay with you for some time. Uh, just a reminder to everyone that we are in the process of getting new audio equipment for our podcast, uh, so the sound's only going to get better. Uh, we've been given some great advice from some other podcasters out there about how to get a better, better sound uh, from our phone conversations. Um, for those listeners that don't know, we are based in Western Australia and not a lot of these uh, filmmakers come over here to join us for screening, so most of our interviews are done uh, via telephone. Anyway, enjoy. Hey, I don't know what you two have uh, done to me, but I saw this film four days ago and I still can't shake it. Oh, really? <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> no, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. <laughs> uh, has there been any particular piece of feedback uh, that you've had so far that's taken you by surprise? That's a very good question. Um, I was surprised by the music feedback last night. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there was, there was a piece of feedback last night, which was, I was a little bit surprised by that too, mm. which was that the music in the film is emotionally leading. Mm. Um, and I found that extraordinary, given that all of the scenes that have any kind of inherent emotional content have no music in them. Um, so I wasn't quite sure what she meant. Um, and I think it was that she meant that the music before that has an emotional resonance. Um, which um, which is about the kind of foreboding nature of what's going to end up happening in the, in the movie. Um, uh, and anything short of not having music in it would, I suppose, be emotionally leading. Anyway, so I was, that, that was actually surprising because um, I thought that I was being quite conservative. Wow, OK. So is music uh, so, uh, something that's very important to you as, as a filmmaker here? No, not really. 
always had this kind of rule in my head that, all, like, I always, even though I was a 19-year-old student studying acting, I had this very dogmatic opinion that the film school was doing things all the wrong way by teaching people how to write stories for the first year. I thought that what, what they should do is make people make a 30-minute silent film um, <laughs> as their first job uh, because I genuinely do believe that in Eisenstein's theory that you need to learn how to use a camera and how to edit to actually film language is not actual spoken language film language is the language of editing and the language of the camera's relationship to space mm. um, it happens to be that it's also a good format for watching people talking um, but that's a secondary layer to the essential layer of what cinema is and um, so I kind of don't really believe in the idea that you need music in a film. Mm -hmm. However, um, in the case of this movie, um, one of the things that we decided to do, which was, which was, I think, kind of more important than the idea of not having music in the film, was to make this film an ensemble film. Most mm -hmm. films have a protagonist. Most films are kind of essentially seen from the point of view of... Uh, a single person's experience that the that becomes the cipher for the audience. Um, this film is not that. This film is a film about a group of people. What's usual when you make a film about a group of people is that you make a film about like a particular place, like in Magnolia, yep. Los Angeles. It's mm. the place. It's the experience of people in that place. It's a series of kind of types of human beings that are the flavour of this world and you create an emotional climax about their connectedness, which is what he does with the frogs mm -hmm. uh, and the song in that film. Yeah. What I wanted to do with this film that, most, that everyone kind of told me was, was going to be impossible was to create a series uh, was to make a group film about not a place or an idea, but a group film about a series of protagonists who we were all, we, who we were going to connect with each of them. Like, I wanted everyone to be able to connect with everyone at some point in the movie. So it became more like a relay race in my mind, this idea that you, that you create uh, a series of subjective realities, that you are constantly moving into the sub subjectivity of a new human being. Mm -hmm. um, so instead of kind of seeing everything from above, you're constantly kind of being thrown into a, the subjective experience of another human being. Yeah. And the sum total of that, those series of subjectivities would become the kind of heartbreak of the person that you, were, you ended up having to be with, uh, or the kind of core group that you ended up having to be with, was that all of these people's subjective decisions have led to this heartbreaking conclusion. Mm -hmm. Um, and so the music became incredibly important for that reason because music is the thing, the thing that kind of links the ability to already be with the next person um, while you're still watching one person on screen. You're already kind of in the emotional state of the next, next person. Yeah. Oh, that's a great um, answer. <laughs> uh, yeah, so the, yeah, the music was essential to that. Uh, does directing theatre and and particular um, particularly the stage play of, of this for so long does that uh, prepare you enough for for directing film? Um, nothing prepares you enough for directing film. Um, look, at the end of the day, um, the decisions you make when you're directing a film are unlike any other decisions you ever make, and that is 
way you put the human beings on the set um, has very little relevance to anything other than the picture that is going to be in a two-dimensional format at the end. Mm. So, you know, the classic example being that you kind of, like, see two people standing next to each other on set and, like, it's not a love scene. Uh, And it's just two men who have met in a park to talk about um, some kind of conspiracy that's going down. And they're standing, like, literally nose-to-nose on the film set. So the shot works. Um, And there's no way that two human beings in the real world would ever stand that close to each other. But in the frame, it looks fantastic because it puts a lot of pressure on the image, etc., etc. So the thing you have to learn as a filmmaker is that your analysis of the real world is only useful in terms of inspiration during the preparation period. <laughs> Your job then on a film set is to see what works in the art form itself. Mm. And the art form itself, while it looks like it bears some kind of relationship to reality, the way that you then create reality is to ignore the rules of reality um, while you're making it. Mm. Um, very, very cleverly referenced in, I don't know whether you remember the Simpsons episode where the mafia is making the um, t- uh, film in the, in the, in the bar. Um, and Bart Simpson walks in um, and sees a horse painted like a cow. Um, and he goes, why is that horse painted like a cow? And the mafia goes, cows don't look like cows on film. <laughs> um, and he goes, well, what do you do if you want to have a horse, and go, oh, we strap a couple of cats together. Um, uh, and that's actually right. Yeah. That is actually the perfect description of cinema. Wow, wow. Uh, Odessa, uh, you've gone from working with Sue Brooks, uh, who's an accomplished filmmaker, to working with Simon on his first film. What are some of the differences and... Uh, uh, sorry, what was that? No, I'm making a terrible joke. Sorry, can you oh. hear? What, what are some of the differences and similarities between uh, the two as directors uh, that you noticed? You know what? I actually almost expect uh, their directing styles to be opposite of what they were. To Sue, um, Sue very much kind of, uh, she gives you the material and she, t- she says one thing, and then she steps back and watches it happen and watches as the actors interpret that in different ways or connect with each other without her influence from that point. And then if she needs to, she'll come back in a few takes later. She won't give us any notes for, like, the first kind of few takes that we do, but then if she needs to, she'll come back and kind of say another thing in an ambiguous way that will slightly sway us towards something that she wants. Um, and so, you know, being on set with her, it almost feels like she's... Not that she's not working, but just that she's not, like... It, it, it almost feels like she's not kind of... She doesn't have uh, that kind of strict vision for it. But then you become acutely aware that she does. She's just an absolute trickster. Yeah. and do it in different ways. Mm. Um, whereas Simon, who is very much about the kind of uh, the performance, the performance that he wants from his actors, he wants to happen the, the way he wants it and in the moment that he wants it. And so, you know, Simon kind of 
talk from behind the character as the scene's going on and, you know, tells us to say something again or gives us directions mm. as we are literally saying the lines. Um, and it's very much kind of a part of, of each scene during the entire thing as opposed to someone who would, you know, give us a note and then stand back and then watch it happen. It's, mm. it's a very different style of directing that I would, I'd almost expect, um, expect Simon's style from someone who's been very well established in film directing mm. and the opposite, you know, and, and you know, maybe Sue, Sue's style for someone who, who is just kind of watching it happen for the first time as well. But the, the results of both films and both styles of directing are extremely effective. Mm. That's a, that's a nice compliment to both of them. <laughs> Um, uh, there, there are a lot of uh, secrets, lies, and betrayals amongst the families portrayed uh, in the daughter. Does immersing yourself in this kind of material uh, have any effects on you in your day-to-day lives? I mean, does it question? Does it make you question your own families or your own loved ones and the people that are closest <laughs> to you? You first, Adele. <laughs> I remember at the time I was filming, I was kind of in, in, in a relationship with someone and it did make me question everything, actually. I do remember, like, going home from set and kind of having to call them and, and talk about my day and then kind of not wanting to um, for fear that I was betraying something. Wow. Um, yeah, it's interesting kind of what it does to you being so on edge all the time. That's good, I suppose, because... <laughs> it... mm. I mean, if yeah. it... Sorry, I, I just... just my, my answer to the question is... Um, uh, it's a relief <laughs> um, to deal with this material. Mm. It's, it's a huge catharsis. Mm. Um, I think, you know, people are constantly kind of talking about, you know, everyone... There's this thing with this film and films like this where people go, oh, is it going to be really full on? It's kind of like, um, kind of, it's, yeah, it's like a massage. There will be moments of pain, but at the end of it, you just go, that was, that was really, that is huge relief, and thank God I did that. Um, uh, the problem with, you know, unlike massages, which were where, you know, Generally, you can expect a certain level of, of quality and that you will have the relief ratio in relationship to the pain. Um, some filmmakers are not interested in doing anything other than the pain. Yeah. Um, and I think that's made some people wary of, 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 of the idea of watching anything other than comedies or action films. Um, and I think that um, it's kind of about like kind of regaining the trust um, really, is that actually you can come and watch this film and you'll feel good afterwards. Hmm. Uh, uh, and I know that a lot of people would kind of go, well, actually, immediately afterwards, I didn't feel very good. Um, but it is, um, I do think that it is, um, like my experience, like my experience kind of working on it, I do think it is a cleansing, cathartic um, experience to kind of. Um, confront these things and confront these things in a kind of safe environment where you know that actually the kind of focus is on the love of life and the, and the desire for things to be great. Yeah. Mm. Hopefully uh, audiences come out feeling the same way. Well, yeah. they haven't been. <laughs> Not yet, anyway. They have. No, well, yes, they have. 
<laughs> the immediate, like you said, the immediate reaction is like, how the fuck could you do that to us? No, I don't think that's true. No? No, I don't think I, I've never had someone who's gone, you, you, you manipulated me, how dare you? <laughs> I think, I think every audience member is, I was complicit in that. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, I decided I decided I was going to let that in, and I did let it in, and then it knocked me about. But I do think, I think it's really important very much in the kind of way that you talk about this film before people see it, to very much talk about the fact that it's actually delightful to watch these human beings for a lot of the movie. And then it is hard because you've invested in these people but there is a huge payoff um, for that because you've invested in something really, um, invested in a very kind of delicate, real human experience and you've been part of the celebration of the value of life and complexity. Um, and I think people recognise that the kind of core of the movie, at the core of the movie is this celebration of life. Good way of putting it. Um, I want to talk to you both about you and Leslie, who gives probably one of the best performances. Sorry, we're just getting the last question thing. So, is this really the last question? No, it, it's definitely not the last question. I, I'll, I'm going to ask two more, and uh, okay, they, ask two more, yeah, they can just they can just go over a little bit on time. <laughs> and, <laughs> I want to talk about you and Leslie because he gives uh, one of the best performances that I've seen in years. Uh, can you both talk to me about working with him because uh, he played Oliver in the in the play in the uh, play as well, right? He played a guy called Yalma in right. the play who is has vague similarities to the character that he plays in the film. Um, kind of essentially holding the same place in the film in the in the players in the film. Um, Ewan's an old friend of mine. I saw Ewan in um, a film called Jew Boy, um, which is an hour-long film that was originally made for SBS. Uh, they were, at the time, they were giving a whole heap of new filmmakers um, uh, money, I think a million dollars, to make an hour-long film for SBS. Um, uh, and this particular one ended up going to Cannes because it was kind of like seen as a, a, a level of quality, which is not just the kind of short, uh, kind of long film just for a TV station. Um, and uh, I watched it at the cinema, having just acted with you in, in Kokoda, um, where he disappeared after a few weeks because he got killed, um, and I survived until the end, so I had to be there for a lot longer. Mm. Um, and... Uh, I went to Melbourne after I finished and went and saw Jude Boy. And I was 20 years old and I watched this film and I was, at the time, doing quite well as an actor. Um, like, I had a lot of films happening and TV shows and stuff like that. So the prospect of me being a director to anyone who was kind of objectively looking at my career was, it was not high at all. Um, watched this film and saw him in it and went, wow, he's one of the most extraordinary actors I've ever seen on screen. Texted him, not, you're amazing, I hope we get to do another film with each other. Texted him, you're amazing, I'm going to direct you in a film. (laughs) Um, And Ewan got this thing from a fellow actor who was 20 years old going, yeah, I'm sure he thought, yeah, I will live to see that day, I'm sure. I quite quickly became a director and then quite quickly started working with him in the theatre and then quite quickly made a film with him. Um, um, 
so all I can say is that he's a muse for me. He's the person who can really go to the places that I really want to see actors go to, and he's the most reliable performer in my career where I've known that I can um, go to the places that I need to go to with him and that he'll go there with me. And, um, Adessa, you've um, you've uh, worked with some great actors. Do you find yourself learning from these guys uh, like Ewan and uh, Jeffrey and Sam, or would you prefer to develop your own technique as, a, as an actor? we better wrap it up there. I could talk about this film all day and uh, I wish we had longer. Yeah, thank you very much. It was great to chat with you and I also wish that I could talk about it all day. Oh, I am. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, you're lucky. (laughs) All right, well, uh, the best of luck with the film. Uh, I wish it all the best and, uh, yeah, congratulations. Thanks a lot. Have a great day. No worries. Thanks a lot. Bye.